Hockey fans in Toronto have been waiting a long time for the Maple Leafs to take that next step, and they're still waiting. After going up 3-1 on the Habs, Toronto forced into another Game 7, another Game 7 that they lose. What went wrong? What happens next? And with the Habs in Round 2, how does it affect the playoff landscape? Episode 272 of the Leafsma Podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Tupa. Before we delve into the Leafs playoff failures again and uh, take a look at what happened in round two, we do have a smorgasbord of items to tackle first, Brett, uh, starting with the NHL draft lottery and uh, Buffalo. They yeah. won again. Yeah, it's it's it was it felt like a boring lottery just because like <laughs> it's like yeah it felt yeah. normal yeah it outside felt normal. number two and number three yeah. swapping places right, that's right. it I mean it is kind of cool that I wanted Seattle to win even like before the whole lottery just because oh yeah I, just I for love, the memes Everybody yeah I love that, right? I love chaos and it would have been cool if they got the first pick um, I also was hoping for like a team like. Vancouver or like San Jose or something just won the lottery because like this this draft like yeah I I not to take anything away from Owen Power, Matty Beniers, uh, Dylan Gunther, uh, Simon Edmondson. Um, there's a few others that are that might oh, Brant Clark, Luke Hughes, um, any of those guys. Um, but they're not Alexis Lafreniere, Jack Hughes. They're not uh, obviously they're not Austin Matthews or Connor McDavid. Um, but, uh, so it's like, this is, but like, this is the year where like, not just because like scouting so weird with COVID and people are in different leagues, but like, this is the year where there's no like unanimous number one pick. It does seem like Owen Power is going to go first overall, especially with his, um, especially with his performance in the world championships uh, this past but, he, but even then it's it's not as much right. of a slam dunk as it was last year with right, the right. there's and a, it, there's a less separation that's and fun. even still like a lot of people are skeptical of oh, how Owen Power is going to do um, um, in the in the grand scheme of things too so it's not like he's yeah. what, he's like going to be your next Victor Hedman or anything like that he could be yeah but I, not, I remember I think it was a year or so ago that Aturati was right. projected I think that's his name who was projected yeah. first overall and his draft stock has Plumbers. fallen to the point where he's probably like a mid to late first round pick right yeah you even see some mock drafts where like they don't even have him picked like in the first <laughs> round like he could go in the second round which is which is crazy, and I feel like that's which, a little which unfair. Would be a, which would be a steal. It would be a, kind of like a Timothy right. Lilligren type of situation. Well, I was thinking, wasn't, like, Joe Valino, like, he was the touted number one pick, and then he dropped a lot, and, like, he, he ended oh, up... Oh, Joe Valeno, yeah. Valeno. Yeah, that's right, yeah. I thought it was Valino, yeah, like but that. you might be right. It's Valeno. Um, there's a couple of other ones, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it does remind you of that, too. Um but yeah, it's good for the Sabres. Like, if they do pick Owen Power, this is the year where there's a lot of defensemen too. Having said all that, uh, so like, even if they pick Luke Hughes or uh, Brant Clark or Simon Edmondson, 
Um, it seems like they're in pretty good shape. Um, I was thinking that maybe if they do go, like trade Jack Eichel, which we'll get into in a second, um, then maybe they'll think about like drafting Matty Beniers because uh, it seems like he's the uh, the definite center, um, but like or the only like top center that they have like that they would have. I guess William Eklund's also available. Um, I think Dylan Gunther is a winger. Um, but I guess they could change him to a center if they go with that route too. Um, He's but, a winger that can score, which is good. They yeah, need that's goals. True. They do need that. But like, I feel like they need more help on the defensive side of things, so they might mm-hmm. end up regretting not like because there's so many defensemen that are um, pretty good or supposed to be pretty good that I feel like. Well, they especially kind of with Kristalina's future up in the air too, right. you know, if you, if you have to trade him, like, yeah. hey, Owen Power is just like right there. What do you yeah. know? And that's the other thing to mention too is oh, I was looking at this the other day. Is Owen Power is a left-handed defenseman, um, and I believe Darlene, Kristalinen, um, and a few of their like Montour, um, or I guess they don't have Montour anymore. Uh, Colin Miller yeah. are all right-handed defensemen. Um, so, yeah. so it, it, like, you could have a top pairing of Power and Darlene, theoretically, which would be kind of, mm-hmm. which would be pretty fun, no, no doubt about that, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it would be, it would be pretty cool, but, um, yeah, maybe they, they probably get a defenseman, uh, to help with Rasmus Darlene on the other end of things. Um, anyways, uh, we... This story also happened like a couple weeks ago, but since you know we've been busy talking about the playoffs and Tom Wilson, we didn't really talk get to talk about it. But uh, during Jack Eichel's exit interview, uh, he mentioned how he had this. Uh, he was he was planning on getting this surgery for his collarbone, or I think it's like a shoulder, maybe um, somewhere like an upper body injury, um, and the Sabers refused. Uh, to allow that to happen for some reason. Um, and, you know, beforehand, like, whenever I heard all these trade rumors of, like, Eichel's getting traded, I was just like, that's not going to happen. Why would the Sabres do that? Because you're always going to lose that. Um, but I think this is starting to get into the, um, into the, like, uh, uh, Patrick Line. Um, on the Jets type feels to it, or even like Pierre Luc Dubois type feels to it, where it's like, why? Like, it, it's very clear that like the owners are upset with Jack Eichel because like, like even if you do get like surgery, like I get that you know it's it's an injury and whatnot, but like, there's no other reason why they wouldn't allow him to get it unless they're like, okay, well, we're not like we don't want that to happen, like. The surgery is supposed to help you exactly, so it's not like what it doesn't make sense why they wouldn't allow that to happen. I'm not even sure um, if Kevin Adams has publicly said anything or the Pulas have even said anything about it, but that seems so crazy to me that it's just like why, like no one's really talking about that. It just seems inevitable that Jack Eichel is going to get traded pretty soon because it that that part doesn't make sense to me. And like you know, the other part that um, if you kind of forget was that like Brad Marchand uh, last off season he got um, he had surgery um, and then he later said he later said after he started skating again that he was in the best shape of his career 
And, you know, at the time, that's probably what they all say, but Brad Marchand was third in points <laughs> this year, and he was in the best shape of his life. Um, he proved that. So it's like, if you don't think that, like, surgeries don't help you, it's that seems um, crazy. I mean, I'm not sure if anyone's actually saying that, but it just seems odd to me. It's like, he's clearly your best player. If he's injured, why aren't you just letting him get surgery? So that's what makes me think that I feel like Jack Eichel is going to get traded this year, this offseason. You have seen the light, huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, see, see, for, the difference between you and me in this is that, like, you just, you just assume that these guys are getting traded. But until, like, like even for Patrick Line, I was like, hey... Uh, like <laughs> that was an odd press conference. I think he's gonna he wants out. Whereas like this one, it's very clear that Eichel wants out because because it's like and he has every right to. It's like why aren't you? Uh, why don't you want him to get surgery? That makes no sense to me. Well, it, especially when it we you hear all this talk about Buffalo bringing in Taylor Hall and they want to win a Stanley Cup. You can't win a Stanley Cup with 50% Jack Eichel. You need 100% Jack Eichel, fully healthy, motivated, ready to go. And you need the rest of the team to follow suit. And it, it it's just, it, it's not just Jack Eichel wanting out. When you get guys like Rasmus Ristolainen and Sam Reinhardt and Linus Holmer pondering their futures with the Sabres, yeah, Sam the, that's, that's how you, that's, that's how you lose a team. Yeah. That's how you lose a room. That's how you get distressed with the fan base. And this fan base has already gone through a full rebuild. This is like 10 plus years of freaking misery. And it's it's somehow going to get worse. Like, yeah. I don't know how you win a Jack Eichel trade, but you certainly need to get more value for Jack Eichel than you did with Ryan O'Reilly. Uh, the, the trade that keeps on giving for the Blues and not for the Sabres at all. It should also be noted that over the next five years... There is $42.5 million in base salary left to pay Eichel. Uh, there's also a $7.5 million bonus in 2022-2023. So outside of that, the rest is base salary. And he does have a no-move clause, effective July 1st, 2022. So until then, the Sabres can trade him anywhere. But once that no-move kicks in, Buffalo might be screwed because then Jack Eichel holds all the power as to where he goes. And that's very important um, to keep in mind as we get through the next year. If it's abundantly clear that the Sabres and Jack Eichel have lost each other they um, and it's better off parting ways, before July 1st, 2022, the Sabres need to do something and just rip the Band-Aid off and trade Jack Eichel. It's going to hurt. But it's better to do that than wait until July 1st, where Jack Eichel now all of a sudden has the power to do a little bit more um, with his situation. And I, I, I just don't get why you wouldn't allow him to have surgery. Like, like, like what's the drawback? Yeah. Like, with or without Jack Eichel in the lineup, like, how good is your team? Yeah. Like... How good is your team with 50% Jack Eichel versus 100% Jack Eichel or no Jack Eichel at all? It's still mediocre and not good enough to make the playoffs until I see otherwise. And the, the Sabres fans aren't blind. They know that. Yeah. Like, Jack Eichel is the heartbeat of this franchise. If you lose that, 
at, at that point, you just might want to start another fire sale. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 you, you wonder why Buffalo is where they are. It's simple situations like this that they've bungled. Yeah. And it, it just sucks. It sucks for the fan base. No one, no one wants to, to see this level of circus. Because it, 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 it solves nothing in the end. Right. It, it just causes confusion. Yeah, I don't get it. Um, and to be clear, like, what was interesting is, is, like, the Sabres actually started to play better once they fired Ralph Kruger. And maybe part of it was because Linus Olmark is, was uh, back. And, um, and, like, for some reason, Casey Middlestad, like, finally showed some <laughs> amount of uh, aliveness. Um, where he was, he had like a point per game for like eight games, straight games or something like that. So, um, yeah, he was pretty good. And R2 Ruetzalainen, uh, <laughs> not Ristolainen, um, was also like a revelation too, where he started to be pretty good too when he was called up. Um, but uh, yeah, so, so the Sabres actually did start to play a lot better. It's just, it was obviously a little too late to, um, too, a little too late, yes. Um, but, um, but yes, it, it, it does make you wonder, like, okay, so they started to play finally um, well when Ralph Kruger's not there, uh, Linus Ulmark's there, but you don't have Jack Eichel there. So it does, I wonder if that was part of it, too, is, like, they're thinking, like, okay, well, this, like, yes, we, you know, this is a write-off year for the Sabres, but, like, what they showed in the last... A uh, couple of games of the year was like okay this this is something that we could build around like this is a team we could build around and that just so happened to be when Jack Eichel wasn't playing um, however I could say that like you know Jack, like this team would be improved immensely if you added Jack Eichel onto this team but um, but yeah at the same time I totally I can understand where they're coming from um, but it, yeah, it makes no sense. Um, and what was also interesting too was like I, I forget the direct quote, but when uh, when the Sabers won the lottery, um, Kevin Adams was saying like um, was was saying that they were so happy to get the pick, um, and he was thinking of the Pagulas when that happened. And, like, yes, I mean, he, he is right that, like, obviously it's good for the organization and, and stuff like that, and you should thank your owners for that. But it's just, that felt like such an odd quote because it seemed like he was, like, begging for the Pagulas to give him attention or just, like, like be on their side for some reason. Like, it just seems so odd that he had to thank the owners of, um, of the Sabres for, for, like, you know, he was just worried that if they didn't win the draft lottery, what are they going to do kind of thing. Um, so I, I felt like that was an odd quote. But we have to get forward um, and go to our next topic. Um, since we did talk about Jack Eichel, he wasn't the only one that kind of implied that he wants out of his uh, former team. Uh, this one, I, I guess Seth Jones kind of already said that. Um, so his RFA year is next year, or um, and... Um, he said that he's not re-signing with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, uh, so what's what's interesting, and I didn't even realize this, because I thought the general consensus around Seth Jones was that 
like, you know, people thought he was a good hockey player. He just had a bad year. Um, however, like, there's a couple of, like, analytics people I follow on Twitter. I have a couple of uh, friends who are into analytics as well. But he had the worst analytics season, season uh, not just, like, for, like, Blue Jackets, but, like, or not just in his career, but, like, <laughs> for the rest of the, the entire NHL. Like, it was terrible. Um, like Chris Russell level bad um, in terms of analytics. So that, that's kind of interesting. However, like a lot of the Blue Jackets players weren't doing so well uh, too. So that's something you have to keep in mind. But um, I'm sure some team is going to to trade a fortune for him. But like that, I feel like that's what you have to do. Um, especially when you have someone like Zach Wierenski in your system who, um, who is equally as good as Seth Jones is, um, even arguably even better than him. So um, that's something that I feel like they have to trade him. However, I do wonder if, like, like, I guess it may depend on what team ends up getting him, but I do wonder if, like, when he says that he's not signing with Columbus, does that mean that he's like he's willing to sign with another team um like would it be a sign and trade or is it like he's he's testing free agency no matter what so it would be more of a rental type deal for whoever gets him in a trade and that would um and that would be the interesting um aspect of this and like or it depends on how big the return is it's like if it's a rental then the amount would probably not be as much but um, if it's not, then um, then obviously there would be a bigger return. Yeah, and I think the return will will basically tell us uh, whether or not sign trade material. And I do think there are some markets um, where if he knew he was going to, he would sign on the dotted line right, right away. Um, I I think there are a fair amount of teams, um, contending teams, because I doubt he'll want to go to a team that's not doing well like i don't know buffalo maybe right <laughs> i i think if if he wants to play the long game and and trust the process maybe detroit but that's way down the list I right think. right um the, the teams in need that are contending that would probably be willing to make a seth jones trade philly would be one uh Toronto, as we'll discuss later on, maybe yep. I can see Florida, depending on what they feel like doing. Carolina's got everything uh, that Columbus would need. They have depth at all positions. They also have a lot of talented prospects. They have draft picks. Right. So I can see Carolina making a big move there, although how the Hamilton Sveshnikov situations work out, uh, that could determine whether or not their players. Um, Nashville, just for the memes. Maybe if they still think they can win with their current core, they bring him back. Um, I think Edmonton, not just because Caleb Jones, his brother, is is on their team, um, but Edmonton's just a very talented bunch of guys. They need a bit of defensive help, and yep. maybe as a result of Jones going on the market, uh, the potential to play with guys like Drysdale and McDavid, that would be tempting enough to – Go to wintry Alberta weathers. The, maybe maybe right. that's enough of a sell for in there. And then uh, just because they always get what they want, the New York Rangers probably yeah. enter the race somehow. So yeah, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, I have a few teams. Some that you mentioned. Uh, we'll we'll talk about Toronto in a second, but that one's the one that makes the most sense to me. I feel like 
Um, but I, but, but obviously, like, if he's expecting a lot of money, um, in free agency, I feel like it would only be a, a rental type thing. Um, Edmonton's the same case. It would be kind of like a Tyson Berry type replacement this for this year. Um, if they like, if that's what Edmonton wants to start doing, is just taking like the best defensemen every year, um, and just sign them to a rental deal uh, every single year, um, in order to afford, uh, you know, McDavid and Drysaddle as well. But that would be something interesting too. Uh, the other ones that you mentioned, Philly would make sense. Uh, Pittsburgh would be interesting too. Um, yeah, and, Pittsburgh yeah. to me is that wild card where, yeah. like, I don't know if it makes sense, but they still feel they can win with their core and they're yeah. going to go for it again. Right, right. That, that makes sense. Um, and then lastly, um, just because I feel like uh, Keith Yandel's on the way out, um, I wonder if he goes to Florida. That would be pretty interesting too. Um, the other option that I just thought about, what if he goes to, like, he, uh, he, like, just asks Columbus, like, hey, let me, let me go to Seattle. So, like, they, Columbus just doesn't protect him. And he, like, uh, they, uh, Seattle just takes him as a, as a rental. So it's like, he, I mean, I guess he, if he wants to be in the playoffs, that's probably not the route to go. But I do wonder if, like, he just, like, he doesn't want like someone like Zach Wierenski to take up his time or something like that. So he just goes to like Seattle or something. That would be kind of interesting too. Um, and if, if, if you want the case of the rich get richer, why not, why not go, uh, why not go to Colorado? Eh? Yeah. Eh? Why, why not the abs? Well, so that was the thing you mentioned Carolina too. I feel like, yes, you're right. That like Colorado and Carolina would have the right, like pieces that Columbus would want, obviously, but why would Carolina or Colorado do it? Because they like the that's their biggest strength is how good their defensive depth is. So mm-hmm. it, like it's kind of like shouldn't they have learned from like what Anaheim did a few years ago, where they basically traded all their defensemen, and then look what happened. Now Anaheim has like one of the worst defenses in the league. So I'm not sure if that makes sense. Oh, and the other option that you didn't mention. Um, and it's currently in the playoffs, but uh, Winnipeg would be a, an interesting choice too, um, just to, as like a way to, uh, like you know, it was decent and it held uh, Connor McDavid off, but um, in the playoffs, but uh, now they kind of don't look so good. Um, you know, they still haven't really found that guy to replace Dustin Bufflin or Jacob Truba or um, anything like that. Even though Neil Pionk has been pretty good um and josh morrissey has picked it up this year but um i do wonder if they go that route to increase their defensive depth there too so winnipeg would be an i i wouldn't overrule that idea but i think it's around the same level of a pittsburgh situation where it's a wild card it would be it would be hinging on a couple of factors um for one pierre luc dubois leaving columbus as well if if he if he had a good friendship with uh, Seth Jones in Columbus, then I don't see it being a problem. But if it causes right. friction in the locker room, then then I don't know. So it, I think You're the right. Dubois situation uh, could could determine a lot because there was right there was he didn't specify said, the reasons, yeah. but he specified 
there were reasons why he left Columbus. Right, right. I think he mentioned that it might have been like some of his teammates, but we don't know if that was like Seth. We Jones. We don't know if Seth oh, Jones yeah. was one of them. Yeah. Right, right. I'm, but I'm just saying, if he is, it could have been. Yeah. It, it could play a role in a potential Seth Jones trade to the Jets. So yeah, that's awesome. that's a good point. I would assume that if if they do, if he does end up going to Winnipeg, it would probably meant that they it wasn't Seth Jones then. Because um, I would assume mm-hmm. they would consult well, with yeah. Pierre Luc Dubois, like, all right, is it Seth Jones that you have a problem with? <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> yeah, just say, yeah, just just point blanks are saying like, hey, we're thinking of getting Seth Jones. This is okay, um, but yeah, I feel like just from a team perspective, they could probably use someone like uh, Seth Jones. All right, um, yeah. and then uh, we also have, I guess this is like the biggest. This was the biggest story this week, but. Um, and we kind of, like, alluded to this because we kind of, like, I was already acting like Toronto had lost, but Toronto lost. <laughs> they they uh, they lost Game 7. I I did predict that they would win Game 7, but, like, it, it's it, it's just so strange that, like, I don't know what to say at this point. Because I feel like everything that has already been said about Toronto um, that, has, you know, it's like, we don't really have, like, a hot take here. It's just that, yeah, Toronto sucks. They kind of, um, like, that entire Game 7, it just showed that, like, they didn't have anything left in them. It's kind of like they gave up. Um, I guess the other thing that we didn't really talk about and when we were talking about the Edmonton obit that we didn't really mention, but I saw it mentioned in other forms of media that I feel like it's worth talking about now is that, like, a lot of the, like, a lot of, speculation has been based off of like the the refing like this playoffs where like a lot of the calls that were called in the regular season aren't called in the playoffs and it's not just this this year it's been like a thing for the last couple of years too is that like you know calls that like McDavid has has drawn hasn't been as effective when he was you know in the playoffs um, so like he doesn't get the superstar treatment this time unless they only called like the egregious calls, basically. Um, and the same can be said for Toronto with like Austin Matthews and Mitchell Marners, where they were so used to like those calls being called um, when they weren't, and um, and that's just like you know it's like you know obviously refing should be consistent throughout and um, and all that stuff, and I guess like you know like leagues like the NFL and the NBA kind of have the same issue but um but it's it, it's not as like evident when you see that in the playoffs and it kind of makes it a little bit more exciting cuz now it's like it feels like the whole like the playoffs are just a different animal literally because now you have to like rely on your even strength uh lineup as opposed to like just always getting on the power play and you know obviously that's a one man advantage so um, it, you know, you still have, it's not really an excuse just for, if you put it that way. Um, but it does make it a little, it, like you would have a case there where it's like, okay, some of these calls weren't called in the playoffs that should have probably been called. Um, so there's, there's something to that. Having said that, like maybe there, there was something to the fact that Tavares wasn't there the entire series. Um, and that was something that they probably needed towards the end when Matthews and Marner weren't scoring. 
Uh, and even Nylander wasn't scoring that much towards the end there. I mean, he was at the beginning, but um, he wasn't scoring towards the end there. Uh, what's crazy, too, is like if you had told me before this series that Montreal would win this series and Jack Campbell would have better stats than Carey Price, I would have thought you were crazy. And um, that's actually what happened. And, and that's that's just uh, it's a crazy thing. So I don't I don't really know what Toronto does. I feel like they shouldn't be desperate this offseason and trade for everyone and like overreact and stuff. But at the same time, like you can't lose like that. Like like and I know you were arguing this before is that like you would rather be the Maple Leafs than the Oilers. Um because like at least the Maple Leafs won some games, but I'd I'd rather be swept than reverse swept because that means that you had three chances or four chances sometimes uh, to to actually you know go to the next round and they couldn't do it. Whereas for Edmonton, they never even had a chance. <laughs> like so, um, so this is this is worse than being swept because like they were playing at your heartstrings because they almost made it to the next round, whereas Edmonton, they were never really in it to begin with. I will get to that in a second, and we'll talk about what the Leafs go uh, from here in the offseason, what they do in the offseason, and what their plan of attack is, and how they construct this team. Because Kyle Dubas has got a lot of work to do this offseason. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when you have three chances to close out an opponent and you go over three. Very rare does a team just say, we'll run it back, we'll go right. with the same lineup next no, year and see what happens. Better, yeah, yeah. Like time is too precious. Especially when you've got, oh yeah, Tampa and Boston and Florida deal with again because the divisions are going to be back to what they should be uh, pre-pandemic. So um yeah if you can't be Montreal you can't beat Boston. You can't beat Tampa. You can't beat Florida. Even I don't think it can beat the Panthers. And that team hasn't won a series since '96, even longer than you. Right, but they right. made it to the finals when they did. So, yeah, I, who's laughing now, right? Um, but before I go any further, I want to not to turn the knife a bit further, but just to give you an example of what Leafs fans have to deal with. April twentieth, two thousand four, round one, game seven. Versus the Ottawa Senators. That would be the infamous Patrick O'Lean game that I really wanted people to stop talking about. And I'm sure the Maple Leafs fans want people to stop talking about it because I don't think they even look back at 2004 and say, man, those are some good memories. Right. They just hate people saying 2004. It's all they hear about. Like everyone keeps saying 1967, the last time they won the cup. They haven't won a series in 17 years, which is worse, honestly. Right. Like, not winning a Stanley Cup for 54 years or. Or not winning a series since 04. And also, like, since... not to mention, there are a couple of, like, a lot of fan, Toronto Maple Leafs fans who weren't even alive in 1967. <laughs> so, yeah, there were players yeah. getting drafted the OHL right, that right. weren't alive. Right, right. <laughs> when the Leafs last won yeah, the yeah. playoff series. Got to the second round. It's crazy. Uh, so, since April 20th, 2004, I don't even know if it was called 420 back then, but we call it 420 today. Since that day... 6,250 days and counting, it's more than that now, have passed. 247 players have played for the for the Maple Leafs, 28 of them goalies. 
they have played 1,240 regular season games and 44 playoff games and nothing to show for it. Taking a look at some of the other teams that have struggled during that time, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Los Angeles all started, I guess you would call them mini dynasties. Pittsburgh won three cups. The Hawks won three cups in six years. The Kings won two Stanley Cups in a span of three years, four years. They've been to a bunch of Stanley Cup finals between them. Vegas, the new kid on the block in 2017, has made the playoffs for every single year they've been in the league. Four years, they've won six series. They even went to the finals in their first year. whoop de doo Now you take a look at some of the other teams, for example, that have been notorious of going through up and down stretches and just a lot of down stretches. Let's start with uh, the New York Islanders. They've made the playoffs in seven of 16 times. And they've won five series since 2016, even went to the Eastern Conference Finals without John Tavares as their captain. Need to mention that. Carolina since 2004. Five times out of 16 playoffs, they've been in the playoffs. They've won nine series. They went to the Eastern Conference Finals three times. And by the way, that team uh, eliminated Toronto from a Stanley Cup Finals appearance in 2002, just saying. Uh, they went to the 2006 Finals, won that, by the way, against the Edmonton Oilers, who have been in the playoffs three of 16 times, have won four series, won since 07, but they went to the 2006 Finals, so who really cares? Buffalo, oh, Buffalo, four of 16 playoff attempts. They've won four series, not six 2008 but they've won four series and they've made it to two Eastern Conference Finals. No playoffs for 10 years, but again, who cares? They have more series wins than the Maple Leafs since 2004. Uh, Arizona since 2004. Four 16 playoffs, two series thought, wins, went to the Conference Finals in 2012. Can I, I stop you? Can I stop? Well, well, I can stop you. I thought we weren't twisting the knife. Uh, this feels like a little <laughs> bit like you're twisting the knife. No, but I... I'm not, I'm not a Leafs fan, obviously, but like I, I, no, I which just, is why I'm telling you. So you no, no, just stop twisting the knife. I, I, I'm, I'm speaking up for all these Leafs fans. Stop twisting the knife. Yeah, I don't even I, know if we I'm have. I'm just Leafs giving fans, you a but. perspective of the kind of chirps they have to deal with. Like, okay. the, I and and this is coming from a Sens fan that got pissed off every single time. His team got beat by Toronto in a five-year stretch. Ottawa got bounced in the playoffs four times thanks to one team, Toronto. So the fact that I have any kind of sympathy for the Leafs right now is actually shocking to me. I watched game seven and felt mad about it. I mean, like, I felt mad yeah. that the Leafs lost an elimination game. I, act, I I've also never felt that feeling before. I also feel bad, and I'm a Bruins fan. <laughs> I, you know, my team has delivered more of their loss, their devastating losses than any other team. But yeah, I do feel bad for them. I feel like that's even worse if yeah. I, say, I I feel like I feel like we're we're twisting the knife. I feel like that's worse if we say that we're actually we actually care. <laughs> it's like <laughs> Yeah, cuz cuz you know when the, yeah. the Leafs are just like, going to start I'm just I'm just thinking like if I was if I if I was a Leafs fan listening to this right now and you're here like okay, this Bruins fan and this Sens fan like, you know, we hate those teams like what like I like they're probably skipping this I guess right now I just I'm just I'm just saying like just <laughs> I I feel like I I wouldn't want 
my like I wouldn't want fans of opposing team or their rivals saying like, "Oh, we feel bad for you." Um, we, we, I get I get they they probably don't want our pity. So, just want to say, and it's 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 important to know the past failures because without learning from the past failures, the failures. I'm sorry, they're just going to keep happening. Well. Like, that's, okay. That, that, that's how that I the Rangers of, that, didn't win it for 54 years. That I kind of disagree with because that was like, you know, the Leafs, yes, they they haven't won in a long, long, long time, but the, there were different iterations of that team. Like, this is like the best team they've ever assembled since 1967. Like, bar yeah, none. <laughs> I, I, I definitely <laughs> agree with that. And they, they had the guys to go on a deep Like, run. this isn't your Phil and, Kessel, uh, James Van Riemsdyk team this is like legitimate stars like on your on your team yeah yeah i think they had the perfect blend of veterans the perfect blend of all-star snipers playmakers jack campbell was good in net when freddie anderson couldn't play when freddie anderson was there at times he was good as well and i think the leafs if they played with more urgency in key situations would have won this series. Yep. Like for, for example, game five, right? They come back from three, nothing down to tie the game at three and force overtime. One minuscule turnover. First minute of OT Habs go the other way in a two on O three, two, three, two series lead. Now then they outshoot the Habs 13 to two in game six overtime after trailing to nothing in the third period, they come back, force overtime, and what happens? Just one little miscue from Dermot Cockney picks up the puck, shoots, game over. We have a tie series going back to Toronto. And I know people are gonna say Jack Campbell should have had that Brendan Gallagher goal that made it one nothing, and he's right. That was a Lily mess goal. Jack Campbell's gotta find a way to stop it. There have been other game sevens where the first goal of the game doesn't look good on the Leafs goalie, but don't don't pin it on the goalie. Like yep. the the there are two things that killed the Leafs in this series, and none of them were because they didn't have enough talent, they didn't have enough character. First off is killer instinct. Teams like Tampa find a way to win those series. They find a way. They find a way to make that their game, and they take care of business, and they go on to the next round. So that's one thing. The second thing, better starts. The Leafs fell behind game five, lost, even though it has blue lead. Leafs fell behind in game six, even though it has blue lead, Leafs lost that game. They get behind in game seven, the Habs run up the clock, and they win the game. So I think if the Leafs start off better in any one of those three games, you're talking about Toronto Winnipeg in the second round right now instead of Montreal Winnipeg. So those those are the two main things that ultimately cost the Leafs and it sucks that those two little intangibles cost them a a chance to really go deep this year but I thought the Leafs had the the tools necessary to make that deep run. It's just that in those clutch situations they couldn't get it done and and that's what makes it more painful um for for the Leafs fans is what what's wrong this time? You know, 2013, what happened? 20, right. uh, 2018, what happened? 2019, what happened? 2020, what happened? This year, what happened? Like, like what's going to change? What do you change? Yeah. 
And and I think that's what has Maple Leaf fans like Steve Dangle so bewildered, so crushed, so heartbroken, is that it's it's something else. It, it's something else that keeps them out of the second round. Something different every single year. And I don't know how you go into next year thinking, well, this, this year is going to be different. We're going to win the Stanley Cup next year. How are you going to win the Stanley Cup if you haven't won a series in 17 years? Teams just don't up and win the Stanley Cup and go on a run like that all of a sudden after years of nothing. Right. It's, it's not that simple. Yeah. So the interesting thing is, and I saw this being compared, I guess this is the benefit of doing this every week and what happened when the Leafs lost on Monday was that like I, I got all the different opinions, but I saw someone say, I think it was in the hockey news, um, that like, you know, this kind of is very reminiscent of those Washington Capitals teams before 2018 when they won the Cup. Uh, you know, there was a couple of people who were saying like, oh, it seems like Alex Semin is going to be a part of your core. Or there's, it seems like um, there was a couple of other guys who uh, the Capitals ended up trading. I forget the method now, but Alex Semin was the main one that I was thinking of. And what happened was Alex Semin was traded. Uh, I forget who they got from that, but it was pretty clear that like what ended up happening is guys that you think are on your core... Um, might not end up being a, a piece um, in your actual Stanley Cup team. Um, however, having said all that, and when I said, like, I don't want them to overreact, but I guess that is, like, at the same time, that is kind of what you have to do because you can't, you can't, like, you know, you can't make some changes. You can't make no changes from this team because you have to. Um, but when I say that, I feel like, Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews are the only two that um, have to be on the Leafs. Like, they, they're the only reasons why uh, the Maple Leafs have gone this far. I mean, it's not the only reason, but, like, the main reason. They're the two best players on your team. Um, and, yes, they didn't show up um, in Game 6 and Game 7 and Game 5, but... There's still like you know it would be a mis like you can't win a trade if you if you trade Austin Matthews or Mitchell Marner. Um, however, I could see that like John Tavares might go, although his contract's pretty large and he has a long term. I could see that he's also your captain, but maybe you know he is like thirty years old, so maybe you don't. Uh, maybe if a team is interested in him and can afford it, maybe you'd do that. Uh, William Nylander, although he did have a good playoffs, um, I could see him being gone. But everyone else, um, I could see going. Um, and everyone else uh, could start to go. Uh, the good news also is that they have a lot of UFAs uh, this coming year, so that, which means they have a lot of cap space to deal with for this upcoming year. Uh, they have Riley Nash, Zach Hyman, Wayne Simmons, Nick Foligno, um, Alex Galchenyuk, Jason Spezza, Joe Thornton, Zach Bogosian, Ben Hunnan, and Martin Marinson, uh, Frederick Anderson, and David Riddick are all UFAs. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel like, like I, I would imagine they'll keep Zach Hyman. Um, they might end up keeping Frederick Anderson at a lower rate if he's willing to do that, but they probably will let him go. Um, 
and but everyone else they could probably afford to lose um and so they do have a lot of cap space to deal with um and and things of that nature but they're kind of in the same uh, edmonton pittsburgh type situation where they a lot of their like they have a lot of money given to their top players which they deserve that but it, it makes it harder f- to sign like these depth roles up uh, type players um so so yeah, I, I feel like the the Leafs are going to be the most interesting team in the off season, uh, just because like you can't you can't you can't allow this to happen again, and it, it probably will happen again, but but they have to make some changes because otherwise, um, Dubis is out of a job. Like this is his shot. <laughs> it, it, like it's it's this season or he's out of a job, um, and um, yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes. Um, but other things to keep in mind is like Austin Matthews is 23, Mitchell Marner's 24, uh, William Nylander's 25. They, they'll learn from this. Um, I mean, obviously that, you know, I probably said this when they lost to the Bruins and, you know, they lost last year, but they're still, they're still very, very young. Um, and they, there, there is ways to combat this. They'll, they'll win a, I feel like they'll win a cup. But it's just, you know, they have to figure out the depth players. And I guess these guys just weren't it. Um, yeah. Um, just just quickly, um, some thoughts on what happens with the free agents. Riley Nash, absolutely 100%. Not coming back for that price. If he comes back, it's on a cheap deal. Otherwise, he's probably hitting the open market and Toronto doesn't keep him. Zach Hyman, I hope Toronto keeps him. Yep. But he said, he, he's already said that I'm definitely considering as long as makes sense which tells me he's not going to be taking any discounts if it's in the neighborhood of around five to five point five million i plug my nose and pray that it works um or i've i think it's 50 50 for hyman if he comes back even though he should be back and he means so much to that team on so many aspects of the game um i don't think it's a surefire guarantee that he's back Freddie Anderson, I think, will get his money somewhere. I don't think it's Toronto. He probably leaves. Same with David Riddick. Um, in terms of depth guys like Hutton and Bogosian, maybe they bring him back. I'd like to see Thornton and Spezza back. Galchenyuk, too. He was a good uh, good add to their bottom six. Uh, bring him back at $1 million or something like that. I think that would be good. Nick Foligno and Wayne Simmons, I think, for what they offer. If you can bring him back uh, at a decent price, that would be good. Um, in terms of the trading situation, like William Nylander is, you know, there's some been cons- some consistency issues in the past, but he was their best forward the entire playoffs against Montreal. Um, you know what you're going to get from him when he's producing. And he's probably out of all of the names that we mentioned, like Tavares, Nylander, Matthews, and all those guys. Um, Nylander's probably the bargain price that you have. Yep. But his ceiling compared to Marner and Matthews, it's not nearly going to be at Marner Matthews level, which is what makes him expendable. But you could definitely get a fair bit of a return for Mitch Marner, considering almost half of his deal's already been paid out. So, like, even though his cap hits around like 10, 11 million. It's like six six point two five million per year moving forward. I a lot of teams would be willing to take that on, and they would be willing to pay to get Mitch Marner on their side. 
Um, but I don't know how you win a Mitch Marner trade other than getting pieces that help you win a Stanley Cup championship. Yeah. And I I think if 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 Zach Hyman doesn't come back, I go hard for Blake Coleman. I I try and get him as as fast as I can because he's he's probably the most suitable replacement for Zach Hyman. If you wanted to add a little bit of a two-way grit, hey, why not bring the guy that beat you? Why not sign Philip Deneau? Why yeah, not? That would be interesting I don't too. know if the Habs keep him. If he hits the open market, why not bring Deneau on board? He's a good two-way shutdown center and, and see what he can do for the Leafs because I think it's important to have that shutdown two-way center. I don't know if they're going to change much. I don't know if they should change much, but um, you'll you'll definitely see some faces coming and going out of uh, yeah. Scotiabank Arena in, in the upcoming months. And the cap crunch is probably going to play a factor in most of it, but I also think what the Leafs see themselves in next year in this position, if they're in this position again, how confident are you in this group? And if another opportunity like getting Seth Jones presents itself – do you jump at the chance? Yeah. And I, I think even if it, it, it's tough with Morgan Riley because he's on an expiring contract, it, do you trade Morgan Riley for Seth Jones if Seth Jones signs an extension? And would you still do it if he wasn't 100% committed to an extension? That's the thing. Because I don't want to give up a key guy for a rental. Well, yeah, I don't think they would do it if, if uh, Seth Jones, like they wouldn't trade a guy like Morgan Riley if Seth Jones is saying like I, I just want to test free agency. Um, yeah. So so, but I, I have been thinking that like I feel like Seth Jones, like would be the perfect type player that Toronto would be looking for, um, despite all this analytic stuff um, that people are saying about Seth Jones. Um, but I feel like that makes some sense it's like oh i guess that like he's the best defenseman who would be on the trade market um yeah i i don't know i i feel like um yeah that that seemed like it's a a good logic around but i don't know um uh, it'll be interesting to see like i said so uh, i should i should also um remind everyone as well um the Leafs being a salary cap crunch uh they've obviously gone all in and made some trades and traded away some draft picks they have six draft picks combined over the next two drafts they have three this year three next year yeah so there's also that yeah they i mean that's yeah that can be said for a lot of teams um yeah but more so towards the Leafs because oh, yeah. they, I, I think that's the lowest, like they don't even have enough prospects over the next two years to fill out like a full seven rounds. True, like, true, yeah. That's how many picks they've traded away. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess it's just like that is to be expected for teams that always like compete every single year. Um, also, uh, so shout out to, credit to the Habs, they like, there is something to be said for the fact that, like, you know, they were down and out, and um, and then they just pull it up together, and that's, you know, like, just the fact that they were able to do that, and that's something that the Leafs couldn't do, and, and that was the deciding factor in the series, and it seems like it's transferred over to our first series that we're going to talk about, which is uh, the Jets' hats. See how I did that? Uh, great transition yeah. here. 
Um, I'm patting myself on the back there. Um, <laughs> I can't believe a Bruins fan is willing to talk about the Habs first. No, I, I believe me, I do not want to talk about the Habs. <laughs> I, I w- but like it, it did, does make me sick that I was crediting them. It's like it's like it's like one of those things. It's like that meme with like the like people those hands arm wrestling. It's like Bruins fans on one arm and then Habs fans on the other arm, and then the, yeah. the thing in the middle would be like making fun of Toronto like that would that's basically that's basically it um but um you know it, having said all that now it's like Habs you're supposed to be bad now it's like thanks for being Toronto but just just cool it off, cool yeah, off just, a little bit it's just yeah. like yeah that that's that's where that's where the fun stops right? yeah yeah yeah, yeah. No I, I was like I, I just remember after game one I was just like or during game one we'll talk about what happened after game one um, but like when the Habs just started scoring, I was just like, Steve, I thought the Habs were supposed to be bad now. It's like, what's, what's going on? Like, <laughs> why, what's, what's going on? Um, yeah. and I mean, playoff carry, yeah. playoff carry price happened, man. Yeah. Playoff carry price. Also Tyler Toffoli, um, it's very good. Um, also, uh, Cole Caulfield. Kakaniemi. Kakaniemi. Speaking of playoff performers, yeah. that guy turns it up. Yeah. The interesting thing with, uh, Caulfield and Kakaniemi is that like they weren't they weren't in the lineup in game one for Toronto um, mm-hmm. or game two or anything and it's like when they finally like, it's like who knew like these guys that you drafted pretty high in the draft are your best players like who knew <laughs> it's it it's strange so uh, all, all that. it took yeah. was for your season on the line you had nothing to lose yeah. it's just like oh we should keep this going a little but bit. but it, it's just, it's just funny that like like. This it seems so obvious, but like <laughs> it's just like oh you're 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 putting in guys like this, and then all of a sudden like they're a completely different team now. That have you learned won. nothing from the Ottawa Senators? <laughs> trust trust your young guys. <laughs> right, no, I know, but like I mean, still like you know guys like Brendan Gallagher and uh, Joel Armia, I think, are getting on the scoreboard. So it's not just the young guys, mm-hmm. um, but. Yeah. Uh, but it is uh, good good for the Habs to, to at least get going. It's just, like, it stinks. If they weren't the Habs, I'd probably be rooting for them. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, anyways. Uh, so the first game was uh, pretty nuts because uh, it was 5-3. I kind of took it more to be, like, uh, that the Jets hadn't played in a week and the Habs had been fighting for their life for the last three games. Yeah. So like there is some, something in that psychology where like, um, Montreal is more battle tested, whereas Winnipeg wasn't. Um, and that definitely showed in game one. Um, and then what happened was in the last seconds, uh, Mark Shifley, um, makes probably the stupid, not probably the stupidest, uh, decision of his career and his life probably. <laughs> um, I don't know him personally, but uh, I would imagine it's probably his his biggest his worst decision of his life. Um, he uh, he goes uh, so Jake Evans is about to score this empty netter, and he does. But uh, Mark Shifley uh, starts on center ice and uh, strides um, and puts in the full effort and uh, crushes uh, cross checks. Uh, Jake Evans and pulls him to the ground um, and it was a terrible fall. Uh, Jake Evans had to be hospitalized 
Um, and uh, I don't know if yeah, I would say cross check, but it was a late. It was a late hit, and it he was didn't, like pulled back. Like the right. puck was in the net, he still followed through on the hit. Right. Well, yeah, that, that's fair. I I guess it was more like because uh, I think he hit him with the stick too. It was just like. It was like he put his body into it, I guess, is the better way. Of yeah, saying. the the landing yeah. by Evans wasn't good right. at all, and he had to be stretchered off. So obviously yeah. it wasn't a big play. I will say before we continue with the Shifley situation, tip of the cap to Nikolai Ehlers for shielding Evans yep. from the uh, pending scrum from behind the net to make sure that he didn't yep. get hurt. Props to that guy, dude. Yep. Like, that's 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 a good Danish boy right there. Yep, for sure. Um yeah, that was a nice uh, thing from them. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I, it should also be noted that like it didn't see, it wasn't a hit to the head, um, or and it, I don't think his skate left the ground, but it was still the dirtiest hit in these playoffs, and that includes Ryan Reeves uh, hitting Ryan Graves. Uh, there was also the Nazem Kadri hit uh, that got him suspended for eight games. Also the John Tavares yeah. one. Which, by the way, um, Montreal doesn't have to face a top-line center in this series for the second round in a row, which is uh, kind of crazy, but uh, for diff- different reasons, obviously. But um, it is yeah. a little crazy. that It's a coincidence, of course, but, um, but it is kind of crazy. Like, I just, if I were Nathan McKinnon, or if I were, um, I guess the, the Knights don't really have a top-line center. Uh, <laughs> Chandler Stevenson, I would be watching out if I um, if I if I were playing the Montreal Canadiens in the next round. Um, just uh, FYI there, but um, but yeah, so so Mark Scheifele gets um, gets four games. Uh, so that would mean that if there is a game six or game seven, Mark Scheifele would be around for game six. However, Mark Scheifele is. Their best player, arguably their best player. I guess you could make a case for Blake Wheeler or Kyle Connor, but um, or I guess <laughs> Connor Hellebuck, but their best skater, uh, one of their best skaters. Um, so not having him there um, is definitely is a big blow to the Winnipeg Jets, and so and it's already like the series lead is a two nothing, uh, Montreal. So. Um, so it like the Winnipeg Jets would have to win these next three games in order to even get it to Game Six. I think, I think that's if I did my math right. Um, but um, so so it's it's pretty likely that Mark Shetley's not going to be there uh, there for the rest of the series. Um, and yeah, it was a very dirty hit. Um, there was a lot of talk afterwards of like. Um, like, was this an intention, or was this, um, like, like, I, I had assumed that he was going to get, like, two to three games, just because it was, like, his feet didn't hit the ground, um, hits in the past, um, and, and things like that, but, um, and, like, you know, just based off of, like, suspensions in the past that, like, they, you know, it's usually, like, hits like that were two games, um, especially in the playoffs like that, but, um, but yeah, he gets four games and, um, I think it was the right call. Um, I would, I would have made, I guess maybe they could have done it like for like make it seven games just to guarantee that he's not going to 
play for Montreal, like he's going to play in this series at all. Um, but at the same time, it's four games in the playoffs. It's like 20 games in the regular season. <laughs> like it, it's, it's a lot of games. So, so I think it's, it's better than, than what I expected it to be, but, um, but maybe it should have been more. Well, the other thing to keep in mind is that um, Mark Shifley's suspension history isn't nearly as long as Nazem Kadri's or Tom Wilson's or even. Ryan so yeah. I do think that plays into a factor of suspension history. Right. And Mark Shifley isn't a dirty player. He plays he plays the game right for the most part. What he did was suspendable, and he should be suspended. Doesn't mean he's a dirty player. Both things can be true. He's not a dirty yep. player, but what he did was suspendable. It, it shouldn't be a part of the game. And you need to set a precedent if you're a Department of Player Safety. If you let this go, what's stopping anyone on Montreal from doing the same to Winnipeg in a situation like that? Where a Winnipeg guy is attempting to score an empty netter and he's in a tough position like that, you fall through with the hit, you're expecting it not to be a, a suspendable play. It's it's only, like, at worst, something that may, maybe kicks you out for the rest of the game. Like, you, you don't want to turn that whole scene into a zoo again we that's the last thing we wanted to see is another guy being stretched off the ice brought to hospital dealing with concussion symptoms that's that's not especially with head injuries being a big talking point for the league for years the last thing you want is concussions on preventable plays so i think four games given the amount that they could give him they couldn't give him more than five games because it wasn't he wasn't offered an in-person hearing um so the max they could give him was five they gave him four i think for a guy with not a lengthy playoff regular season suspension track record i think this is probably uh, probably the best case scenario they could have had and and Shifley seemed apologetic in the days that right. followed, which which is good, and it, it shows that you know he's he's not out there to hurt anybody, and that that he made a mistake, and and he didn't appeal the suspension. Sure. Like Kadri appealed his eight game suspension and lost it, um, but or and I think it's actually getting appealed again to an arbitrator, but it was upheld by Bettman. Shifley is taking the suspension. He's not appealing it. So he's he's willing to to accept the four games. So I think that just adds to the character that we all know Mark Shifley has. And it's it's nothing but positive. He, he, He made a bad play. Mistakes happen. What I don't necessarily agree with, regardless of what side you're on, and, and I hope this isn't true based on what I've heard. I've heard that someone got a hold of Mark Shifley's parents' phone number. Yeah, this is true. Don't actually. do that. Like, like don't, don't, don't stoop to that level. Yeah. I don't care what fan base you cheer for. Don't do that. Right. Please. Yeah, I, I agree with that, obviously. Um, I, I think, yeah, it's Mark Shifley. Like, if this was Tom Wilson, if this was Ryan Reeves, then... Um, or if this was even Brad Marchand, it's like, you know, like they have a history of making these dirty hits. Um, Mark Shifley's not a, um, not a dirty player. Um, he did make something idiotic. If Mark Shifley continues to make some of these idiotic things, then I'll start to be like, okay, he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt anymore. 
But and it should also be yeah. mentioned that there were a couple of scrums that Shifley was yeah. involved in that were getting a bit heated too. Yep. So probably the tension just built on that and it led to that event as well. Which again, not to say defending Mark Shifley for those reasons, it's just something to keep in mind that the tension was pretty high and that led to what we saw. Yep. It, it doesn't take away from the fact what he did was suspendable and stupid and he shouldn't do, do it again. But, again, just another element. It's not like he woke up, he's just like, well, I'm going to ram this guy regardless right, right. if he scores. Well, I mean, I don't I don't even think Tom Wilson does that. But, like, yes, you're, you're right. <laughs> uh, but, yes, yeah, I think that it wasn't like that. It was just a heat of the moment type thing. Um, and I will say, just, like, obviously this goes without saying, but, like, like yes, uh, Shifley crossed the line uh, by making that hit. Uh, he shouldn't have done it. But you know, threatening your family members, uh, Shifley's family members also crosses the line on the other end of things. Don't do that. Uh, that goes without saying, but that's not cool too. Um, you just, yeah, I, I mean, I understand like hockey's a very emotional sport and probably one of the reasons why, uh, Shifley was, uh, did what he did because he was like, okay, this guy can't score or anything like that. But, um, but yeah, it's, uh, uh but yeah, just, just don't don't threaten people. That that's not cool either. Um. Also, uh, you have to get going with everything else. But, um, uh, Joel Edmondson said after the play that uh, after the thing that he felt that it was a dirty hit, but he had faith that the NHL was going to do the right thing and suspend him. And then he goes on to say that um, if they don't, then we're going to make him regret regret it. Or like something of that nature, like they're gonna they're gonna make his life miserable yeah, was the exact quote. And Habs coach Dominic Ducharme added to that point. By that, they're gonna play him physical, right. and they're not gonna make it easy for him. We're not there. We're not here to make payback. We're here to win a series. Right. So it's not gonna be like they're gonna put a bounty on his head or something like that. They're just yeah. gonna make his life a little bit tougher than they probably did in game one. And okay. They 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 made his life uh, pretty hectic in game that, one already. That so. that sounds a little bit like he's trying to say like, listen, we're not like headhunting here, but I I mean, <laughs> that that quote kind of makes it seem like yeah, we're we're gonna finish our checks a little bit harder, gonna, but yeah, I can see why that quote go, can yeah. be misconstrued a bit. Yeah. I mean, I I still I I feel like that's uh, that's not I mean that is probably what they meant to say, but like. I, I think the thing that I'm worried about is, like, this is what happened with Todd Bertuzzi. Like, Steve Moore made a, an aggressive hit uh, back in the day on a Canucks player. I even forget way back when. And, uh, True. And there was all, uh, wait, that, hold on. That, and, and then okay. there was off-ice comments. Even Todd Bertuzzi said, like, we're going to make uh, we're gonna make Steve Moore pay. And they did. And then they, you know, they practically killed Steve Moore. Um, and he can't, like, he can barely, like, he was, they... They almost killed him. So, like, I am worried about that. It's like, yes, um, by the way, the Habs are up one nothing in this game right now. Um, so so maybe we don't even get a game six, but um, I'm, I'm just worried about that situation where it's just like, like, just like, like, <laughs> like, don't, don't retaliate. It's like, you're already up in the series. It, it doesn't make sense to, to make him pay for it. It's just, um. I, I like even if the coach is gonna say that it just it it just that that rubbed me the wrong way. 
the, um, the other yeah. the other thing that I will say about the Todd Bertuzzi situation, Steve Moore wasn't penalized on that play, and I believe he didn't get suspended for that play, which oh, added yeah. fuel to the fire. Shifley was penalized, and he got suspended four games. True. And this yeah. is playoffs, and the Habs have a series to win. So I think hopefully they'll they'll play the wise route and not do anything stupid. Right. Meantime, going into this series. Back-to-back, Sunday night and Monday night. So if you listen to this on Tuesday, the series could look very different. Yep. I think the Habs put themselves in good position if they win at least one of the two. They're in a fantastic position if they win both because the series is over. Right. Uh, if they go up 3 nothing and put Winnipeg on the brink in the second half of that back-to-back, oh, Man, Winnipeg needs needs game three bad, and I feel like we say that for every single time a team's up to nothing, the other team needs this game bad. I don't know how you get ready for an elimination game on the second half of a back-to-back. Right. And as you can tell with the Oilers, they were able to get their game back in game three, but they lost that game, and even though they fought valiantly for three overtimes in game four, they still lost. Yep. So it's going to be a very tall order if Winnipeg goes down 3 nothing in the second half of a back-to-back, and they're expected to force a game five and then have to force another game a couple more times after that just to get it to game seven. Um, it Montreal has a serious advantage, especially on their home turf, if uh, they go up 3 nothing here. Right, yeah, that's a good point. Um, it looks like it's one nothing Montreal right now. Corey Perry just scored. So, <laughs> well, okay, yeah. so already not going well for the Jets. No, All it's right. not. Um, but that you know, that's still. I mean, it's still not over, obviously. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the but yeah, that is a good point. Uh, I found game two to be very boring. Um, but Montreal yeah. ended up winning. Um, I guess it was just like compared to like all the other series, it, it, it feels very boring. It's like I knew coming in that this is like a team that like Cor- Cor- Carey Price and Connor Hellebuck are your, uh, you know, are your goalies there. It is bound to be a goalie duel and stuff like that. So um, it's always going to be like low, a low scoring game no matter what. But um, but yeah, that one wasn't as thrilling. Um and uh, yeah, it, Montreal does look good. I have to give them credit when credits due, um, unfortunately. And maybe we'll see a. Uh, I have to find some uh, wood to knock on, but um, maybe we'll see a Montreal Boston Stanley Cup final. That would be pretty cool. Um, <laughs> uh, just like the yeah. original six days, huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I was thinking that. Um, they're the only original six teams left. Um, so, so, yeah, that would be an interesting thing there. Um, all right. Uh, Bruins Islanders. Um, speaking of the Bruins. Uh, so, this series has been um, kind of a roller coaster. <laughs> um, the, both teams have won their home games and lost their away game. Or, you know, lost their other home game. Um, and it's, it's kind of, like, it wasn't until game... Game four, when this really got a little bit heated, uh, there was a lot of fights in game four. I mean, a lot of chippiness. I do want to comment on the refs because I feel like they've been inconsistent, especially in game four when it felt like the Islanders were just uh, like getting all the calls, uh, even though they were equally as dirty as the Bruins were. But at the same time, 
the best player on the ice was Tuka Rask by a mile. Um, like, like the Bruins could barely score anything. You like it was what, even Bruce Cassidy was saying that there was this time when uh, David Pasternak like missed a wide open net and it would have changed the entire game. And, um, and I should it, I it shouldn't say miss. He hit the post and yeah, it yeah. stayed out. Yeah, I I, I, sh- I was about to say it hit the post. Um, Either way, I didn't score. You didn't score. Um, and I, I said, like, I would be livid if if we end up losing this game. I will be livid when we don't win this series. And, and that was, like, you know, in Game 7 or something like that. Um, and, like, we could have won that game, too. But at the same time, like, Tugarask was unbelievable. And he, he was a big reason why the game wasn't, like, 6-1. to one. Um, So um, instead it was 4-1. to one. Um, in terms of the other games, uh, Brad Marchand gets the OT winner. Farlamov kind of took the Tuka Rask role in Game 3 where he was incredible. Um, the Bruins were flying on all cylinders there, but um, uh, uh, Yaros- um, sorry, not Yaroslav. Um, Simeon Farlamov was incredible during that game. It was also mm-hmm. like an overtime game. Uh, Tuka Rask was also pretty good too. By the way, if you're a Tuka Rask hater and feel like he doesn't perform in the playoffs, just watch any minute of this this series, and and you're going to be proven wrong because he's been our best player this series at the very least. Um, I, I will yeah. say Varlamov could have been positioned better on the Game 3 OT winner, but even yeah. then, that was a hell of a shot by Brad Marchand. Yep. I'm not sure. Even if he was in the perfect position, he could have stopped it. Yep. Uh, I think we talked about Game 1, um, and then Game t- uh just briefly, but game one was nice. It seemed like, you know, Sororkin was, got replaced in game two, and Farlamov has been playing a lot better um, since, in his run now. Um, so, so there, there was that. Um, and then, yeah, game two, I was probably, I was even more upset with the game two loss than the game four loss, because I felt like there were so many chances for the Bruins to score there, and it didn't end up happening. That was the game that Jeremy Lazan like hits Casey Sasekis's skate and oh, then he gets yeah. a breakaway. Um, but like I felt like there were so many chances for the Bruins to score at any point. Like they ended up scoring three goals there, but like it could have been a lot worse. Farlamov also played incredible there too. Uh, this was this is one of those series where like the goalies have been very very good. Um, and there's very little breaks and, and stuff like that, but um, it could have like it could easily have been a Bruin sweep, an Islanders sweep, three one. It could like all four of these games have been very very close. Um, so um, so yeah, I, I so now it's just a clean series. Like you know, Bruins have to win two of the next three. The Islanders, I guess, also have to do the same. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, I, I still feel like the Bruins are gonna win. But, um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, the Islanders are a worthy opponent. Um, and, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Um, I will say that um, and the other comment that I do want to make is there was a t- period in game four when the puck was being kind of had, like, a standstill. It was, like, like you know, that, that moment when, like, the puck is, like, against the boards and players are just trying to get the puck out by skating it. Then uh, Matthew Barzal starts to cross-check David Krejci 
like maybe I mean this is an exaggeration, but like 50, 50 straight times, like he just keeps on cross checking him. What isn't called? For... I believe D- D- I believe Krejci specified the number was four, but okay, it was yeah, four. Okay. <laughs> obviously I, I I mentioned it was an exaggeration, but <laughs> I, I'm it was multiple. It was, it was multiple. It was a lot of times, and and then uh, David Krejci just had enough, and he uh, spears uh, Barzal in the nuts. Um, so that should have been called, but like the reason why Krejci did that was because he was being cross-checked <laughs> so many times. And then Matthew Barzal was on the ground and then he was like on the penalty bench and all that stuff. And then he was able to play miraculously in the power play. It's like, what the hell? <laughs> like <laughs> he also scored the eventual yeah. winner. With yeah. A, so it's like, a neat little hand like I, I, I credit him. He is a hero in my eyes. It's just like, you know, like coming back from being hit in the balls and he, you know, I thought he died. And then, um, <laughs> you know, it, it, you know, it just credit to him for, for scoring that OT winner. It's like, he's incredible. It's like the, that Paul Korea thing. You, you thought he was, gonna be concussed and then he ended up getting the game winner um yeah it's just i'm pretty just sure david crunchy spear doesn't nearly yep. hurt as much as a hit by scott stevens yep. <laughs> right, right 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 exactly um and uh uh obviously i was being sarcastic there um and yeah. uh, <laughs> if you couldn't tell and uh um, yeah, and I, like, I, I even predicted that, like, I knew Matthew Barzal was gonna, like, have a game where I'm gonna regret, uh, the fact that, or that's always gonna be mentioned that of the 2015 draft when the Bruins failed to draft him, uh, three straight times. Um, however, just the fact that he, like, I just found out that he's, like, the, the best actor in the world makes me not want him at all, like, like, you can still, you know, get mad at the Bruins for passing up on Thomas Shabbat and Brock Besser and Travis Konechny and Kyle Connor, um, who they also missed out on. But, uh, but yeah, that was, that was just crazy that, like, Matthew Barzal was able to get away with that. Um, so, um, and yes, that's Bruins fans talking, but, uh, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm still bitter at it, <laughs> if, you, if you can't tell. Anyways. Um, let's go there, to... I don't uh, know if you yeah. talked about the time with, uh, with, uh, Scott Mayfield, but, uh, yep. the first NHL oh, straps too. since 2011 for Taylor Hall. Yep. Um, I don't know if you also mentioned Brandon Carlo was hurt in game three. Right. Uh, I think that could low-key hurt Boston's defense yep. if he's out for an extended period of time, but he's listed as day-to-day, so we don't know for sure. Yep. Um, you look at the depth of the Islanders, they have Palmieri with five goals, Beauvillier with four, Bailey with four... Uh, Clutterbuck and Sezikis both have two. I think the Bruins' depth needs to match uh, what the Islanders are doing there. And if they can't, well, at the very least, they'll go to game seven. But I don't feel confident about the Bruins' chances. They need a really fast start in game five. I think uh, I think whoever gets off to the uh, – if someone can get off to a fast start in game five, uh, I'm not going to say they win the series right away, but they put themselves in a very, very good spot. Right. Um, well, game five could be yes. very telling in what what happens next. So yeah, obviously, but yes, you're right. Um, and yeah, and on that Brandon Carlo note, like yeah, he got uh, hit by Cal Clutterbuck in game five. There was some concussion concerns because you know he's had history now with concussions. Um, so yeah, he, um, 
So yeah, he, he didn't play for in game four. I was hopeful because I think he started his skating, but maybe he'll be back in game four. Uh, or sorry, game five. We'll see. Um, we kind of need him back because we also the Bruins. I always say we, <laughs> the Bruins don't have uh, uh, Kevin Miller as well, which is also a big loss too. So um, the Bruins have been dealing with like you know a lot of defensive injuries um, this past season. So um, that could be like if the Bruins do lose this series, that would be a big reason why is like a lot of our defensemen were injured. But obviously that's not an excuse. Um, you know, uh, it's. Uh, um, it's a team effort type thing. So, um, and, and, and kudos to the Islanders and Barry Trotz. They never have given up this entire series. Um, and, um, yeah, they're, they're a good team, obviously, but, uh, um, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's a, it's a little like nerve wracking. Cause I feel like the Bruins are better, um, not just on paper, but they've been the better team, um, in my biased opinion. But um, it's just, you know, they haven't gotten the luck uh, just yet. So um, hopefully um, it's, it's good for, for my team, but we'll see. Um, is that it? On, do you have anything else for this series, or should I just move on? Uh, no, we can move on right. to uh, um, the Western series here. Cool. Uh, so the next one is actually a pretty exciting series, or it finally got pretty exciting. Uh, the Colorado yeah. Avalanche and the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, so something that's kind of interesting, and I feel like it's kind of telling of how all these three games have been. Uh, so the first game, uh, so I have the shots on goal by game um, uh, of these of these three games. Um, the Abs and Golden Knights play later tonight, um, so you guys will know the results of game four. But this is something that you guys can watch out for or look on the box scores when you listen to this. Uh, so in game one, uh, the shot totals were 37 to 25. The Colorado Avalanche won 7 to 1 in that series. That was also, for some reason, Robin Leonard was playing, starting. I don't understand that at all. But, um, but the shot totals were, were pretty skewed towards the Colorado Avalanche. But this is where it starts to get a little bit crazy. Um, in game two... The shot totals differ differentials was 41-25 Vegas. Uh, Vegas ended up losing that game 3-2, uh, but in overtime. So it was a lot closer, but, like, you know, it kind of went both ways. Um, there was, like, a um, – there was also, like, a penalty in, uh, from Riley Smith slashing um, in game two, and that kind of um, – and uh, Miko Rantanen scored on that power play, so – um, it's strange to even have call penalties in overtime, but um, it, it, that one seemed a little bit egregious. Like, if you're going to call all the penalties, then you should call all the penalties, but it seemed a little... Yeah, weird. and, and I, yeah. Think, I think the, what really turned that table in Vegas' favor in terms of the shot clock yeah. is the second period onwards. They really... They, they got, I think, 32 combined shots uh, yeah. second period onwards, uh, 33 if you can overtime. Um, and if you look at the first period, the abs had four power plays right. and fortunately didn't capitalize on the majority of them. So Vegas, uh, was uh, still had a game on their hands, yep. but, um, they, 
Vegas uh, seemed to tighten up uh, their play a little bit. Obviously, the, it sucks. Uh, the Riley Smith penalty in overtime cost them game two, but uh, it was a different Vegas team once the second period got underway. And this game, they had Flurry and Net instead of Blair. Yeah, right, right. So, so yeah, game two, the shot totals was 41-25 Vegas, so still heavily skewed towards Vegas. Uh, and then game three, it was like the same. It was it was even worse. Uh, Vegas yeah. had forty three shots on goal, and Colorado had twenty um, shots. And this was a game where Colorado was ahead two one in the middle of the um, in the middle of the third, and then Vegas scores like two unanswered um, uh, in like fought with five minutes left in the game. Um, and uh, that was the total. So it's it's kind of crazy. Like even with like the shot, like Vegas scored more, doubled their shot totals that Colorado had, and uh, Vegas still like barely won, um, which just shows you how good Colorado is. But it's also something to look out for in this series. It's just look for that shot total stuff. It's like Vegas is going to like shoot a ton. And Colorado, like, I mean, their, their forwards are so good, their defense is so good offensively that they can get away with it. But um, they're, you know, if Vegas continues, like, if Grubauer is suddenly starts to stink, like, Vegas is going to win this series. Um, but uh, it doesn't look like that's going to happen, even though I guess it's 2-1 right now. I am intrigued to see what's going to happen in game four, because Vegas could tie this up. Um, but I feel like game three and game two was what we were looking for when we were all looking forward for this um, this series when we originally expected, like, okay, so Vegas and Colorado are going to be, like, they're both offensive dynamos, their goalies are very, very good, um, and their defense is very good, too. So it's... Um, I still think the Avalanche are going to win this, but obviously it's not. It's going to be a lot tougher on them than it was against St. Louis, um, where St. Louis didn't even give them any challenge whatsoever. Yeah, and, and I think I think it's it, it slides into Vegas's advantage because they obviously had a tough test against Minnesota. So the the ebbs and flows, the ups and downs, it doesn't face them as much. Whereas you know you put Colorado in that spot, mm-hmm. and you're just like oh. Oh, we haven't been here before. Uh, what do we do? So, right. um, I think if, if Vegas wins Game Four, obviously it's a different series. If Colorado gets that big win and they're up three-one, they could be forced into a Game Seven. But I don't think they'll lose this series. So, um, yeah, it's 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 going to be big for Vegas if if they win Game Four. Um, eh, but if if they lose, not only do you have Game Five, you have Game Five in Colorado. So. Um, that's that's another thing uh, to keep in mind is that the Avs also have home ice advantage and they have won both their games on home ice so far and it, it's something I alluded to in the series preview. I, I have a feeling if there's a team that goes up there two nothing, uh, that that could be the series right. uh, because while I feel like Vegas is starting to become the better team, um, losing the first two games obviously didn't help. Right. Um, but uh, it should also be noted that Jared Bednar, the Avs coach called out his team and said, outside of Drew Bauer, uh, our guys got to step it up here. So it'll be interesting to see how they reply uh, to that challenge. Yep. And if, if they reply the wrong way, then even more confidence for Vegas because 
now the series is tied and you, for the first time um, in a long time, the abs might be second guessing some things. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point too. I feel like Colorado hasn't been as battle tested and we're all like, okay, just put Colorado in the Stanley cup finals or even just give them the cup, you know? But, um, but yeah, yeah, it seems like it's, uh, they're coming through a little bit of a rough patch at this moment. Um, and, and we'll see how they, they learn from it. And and maybe we'll see that, um, as well. Um, and the other thing I want to say before we go on, unless you have other things you want to say about the series, um, Ryan Graves, um, in game one, injured Matthias Janmark um, in the middle of the game. And then towards the end of the game, Ryan Reeves um, roughs Ryan Graves in retaliation. It also looked like he he hit like Philip Grubauer somehow too. It was, it was a weird mix, but uh, Ryan Reeves got suspended for two games for that. Um, and so that means that we'll get Ryan Reeves back. But it was it was pretty funny because when you mentioned um, you mentioned this last week was that like you felt like Ryan Reeves was going to play a role in this series and you you were telling us to watch out but I don't think you meant in in this way because he uh, he ended up going a little bit too far but um, but yeah I'll be curious True. to see uh, now that Ryan Reeves will be back in Game Four I'm curious to see how um, how like the physicality of this uh, series goes um mm-hmm. and, and i guess nazim kadri will be back in game five if I, my math is correct um so so yeah we'll see um how that goes yeah i don't i don't know what the situation with kadri is because now it's appealed to an arbitrator i don't know if it's time served I, or, I feel or how like, it's gonna work or not i feel like even even like currently it's it's still eight games at the moment so like even if the arbitrator gets back to him afterwards it's still not like he if like maybe he's it's already been eight games since since that happened so we'll see yeah true um do you have anything else on on this series or or even um I, 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 I am interested to see how um, the goaltending battle uh, evolves um, because, as we mentioned, uh, Leonard started the first game, but they went with Fleury in games two and three, and he's looked good in both. He's given Vegas a chance to win in all of them, which is good. Um, and and Groove Bauer is, is showing why he could get a lot of money in free agency too. So, And both are also nominated for the best, now, oddly enough. So right. um, I'm, I'm interested... Um, to see how they perform, maybe we could see a goalie duel right to Game Seven. Who really knows? But um, I, I think whoever's uh, got the hot hand is going to be the victor here. That's usually how it goes. But uh, Jack Campbell and the Leafs proved us wrong, so <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, that, we'll we'll see how it goes. Um, all right, uh, let's go to the last series here: uh, the Carolina Hurricanes and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, this kind of has been the same case as the Vegas Colorado series where like the first game was okay, but like the next couple have been like, okay, this is actually what we've been looking for. Um, I think partially it has to do with the fact that like uh, Carolina changed to Peter Morazic in game three um, and Carolina ends up winning um, in, in overtime in game three. Um, but uh, by Sebastian Ajo gets the OT winner. Um, 
Game four was probably the wildest uh, game we've seen in this playoffs. Uh, what it, what happened was uh, so the first period was fine. Uh, Braden point scores. Um, then then what happens was Carolina starts to score. They get two unanswered. Um, one in, four minutes in, and then one that was five minutes in. Um, so they score pretty quickly. Then uh, Steven Samkos ties the game, so it's two two. Then all of a sudden. Carolina does it again, where but this time it was their defensemen who score goals, uh, Dougie Hamilton and Jacob Slavin, and then Tampa just takes over. Uh, they, they just take over, especially Steven Samkos. He had like two goals and one assist, I believe, in this game. Um, but uh, Kucherov gets a goal, then Tyler Johnson scores, then Steven Samkos scores, um, and then uh, Kucherov scores in the third. Um, and then it was almost 7-4, but that goal gets dis, uh, disallowed. Um, so Tampa ends up winning 6-4. Um, this feels like this is going to be a kind of a trend for Carolina, unless um, it's probably something that they have to address in the offseason, even if they end up do coming back from this um, somehow, is they have to address their goaltending. Um, like, yes, uh, I thought that... It, like Nedeljkovic would have been better in the playoffs, and obviously he's he's a rookie and he got nominated for the Calder this year, so he definitely deserves it. Um, and he he was a big reason why Carolina um, is still pretty powerful. But um, but it, it was clear like even Peter Mrazek, who has been good in the regular season, even though he's been injured for a lot of it, um, like he can be wildly inconsistent. So, um, so yeah, I feel like this could be Carolina's downfall, and it's appearing that way because I don't see how Carolina can come back from this because they're down 3-1 in the series. Tampa is, like, you know, obviously Carolina's a pr- good team, but uh, Tampa is also a good team, and I feel like they, they won't be able to win three straight games um, against this Tampa team right now, especially the way that they've been playing right now. Yeah, maybe if it was different a, a situation, if it was tied at two or three one canes, but that's not the case here. It's three one bolts, and Tampa can close out any series, home or away. Uh, whatever the whatever the goal differential is going into the final period of play, it doesn't matter. They've been through just about everything before. They've been swept by Columbus. They've had the highs and lows of any contending team, and th- this this battle isn't new to them. And the Carolina Hurricanes are still finding ways to win, but they're still learning how to become the Tampa Bay Lightning or a team of that pedigree. And there have been stages in this series where they can absolutely beat Tampa Bay. They've proven it. But the resiliency of Tampa Bay is something that you just can't teach. It's it's something that you acquire over time. In game one, Tough angle, but a big goal by Barkley Goudreau in the late stages to give Tampa the win there. Vasilevsky in his first two games of the series, I think only two goals went, went past him. I mean, it's tough for Carolina to get wins with that kind of offense. And then in game four, on a night where Vasilevsky doesn't look nearly as dominant statistically speaking, the Bulls find a way to make game. They pass down win the game 6-4, and their stars are are doing what they should. They're putting up goals. They're 
they're getting assists, they're setting up plays, they're working the power play, they're doing whatever they can. And it's tough as a team like Carolina when you just keep giving Tampa power play opportunities to work with because that's how they can just steal the game away from you. Um, and and I feel like the Bolts stole game four. I think that was a big statement game if Carolina could get it, that could tie the series up and put a little bit of fear in Tampa Bay maybe. But now with, with that out of reach and the Bolts going into, into enemy territory um, up three to one, I, I it wouldn't rule it it wouldn't surprise me if the Hurricanes forced a game seven, but I yeah, i I don't know if they can win three straight against these guys. Um it just the the resiliency that Tampa's shown, it's it's something that I don't think the Hurricanes are gonna be able to match. And it it just might not be their time this year. And Tampa's probably gonna do it, but Stranger things have happened, we'll see. But I, I think Tampa's heavily favored to, to close the deal. Yeah. The more I look at it. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of crazy. But, uh, like, it, it is funny because it's like they get Nikita Kucherov and, like, this team would not be allowed in, a, in the regular season. But I guess it's just the way that it works. <laughs> um, and, yeah they're, yeah, they're, like, a completely different team. Um, so, so, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I guess we'll we'll see how it goes. Um, all right, uh, that about to, oh last thing, um, I feel like we should mention this. Maybe I mean, it's it's pretty cool news. Uh, I should have done this at the start actually, but uh, the Sarnia there was the OHL draft this year, um, or happened on Saturday, um, and the Sarnia Sting uh, they make uh, OHL history by drafting a a female. Um, she's a, a goalie named Taya Curry um, in the 14th round. She is the first female ever selected in this draft. Um, so yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. I, I think I saw that there's like a chance that she might not even like go to the Sarnia Sting and she might just go the college route, but um, but it is very cool that she, uh, she got drafted and um, it kind of like speaks to how much Hockey has evolved um, just as a sport in terms of equality and stuff. So um, it's cool to see. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, hopefully um, wherever she goes, she she has a lot of success. It would be cool to see her in the OHL. At least yep. Maybe try out, uh, partake in some preseason action. But right. um, it, it's it's definitely, we're definitely just like waiting for that, that trailblazer to like, yep. you know, be drafted into the NHL setting. We haven't seen that yet. And maybe it's her, maybe it's someone else, but um, it's, it's definitely an incredible accomplishment uh, for, for, um, for someone who is very, very talented and also wasn't even alive the last time the Leafs won a playoff series. <laughs> she was born in 2005. Okay. I feel like you're just gonna bring this up every time. Like it, it, you, you, you can. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, speaking of Maple Leafs, I will also end on this note. Um, I will always rep uh, my Canadian colors whenever I can. World Hockey Championships, Canada wins gold. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. This was actually a surprise, though. They didn't have any superstar talent like Crosby, Ovechkin, anything like that. <laughs> they couldn't have um, had, they had Ovechkin, a lot of though, yes. second line, third line players like Nick Paul and Connor Brown, Andrew Mangiapane. But not really any big name stars. This team, Brett, started off the tournament 0-3, got shut up by Latvia in the opener, lost to the Americans handily, 
and yet somehow comes all the way back, goes to the gold medal game, shocks Russia in the quarters, shocks the U.S. in the semis, and beats Finland in overtime uh, to complete the comeback. Uh, the winning goal, of course, two Ottawa Senators are in on it. Nick Paul with the goal, Connor Brown with the assist. Connor Brown actually led the tournament in scoring, and to add an um, exclamation point, heading into the gold medal game, Canada owned a 7.69 shooting percentage. Slovakia and Belarus were the only teams in this tournament with the worst shooting percentage, and yet the Canadians won gold anyway. So hats off to them. They did a great job. Yeah, congrats to them. I mean, as a non-Canadian, I will say this isn't really surprising. But um, even <laughs> despite the fact that they lost their first three games, it's like Canada's Canada. Um, so, but yeah, congrats to them. I'm, I didn't watch a ton of it, but I did see a couple of the games, but I didn't see it a lot. Um, so, but yeah, uh, congrats to Canada and all that stuff. And also speaking of Canada, um, they are, they made it so that, uh, for the final four that they can cross the border. So that's going to not be an issue. Um, so mm -hmm. yes, um, yes, whether it's Vegas, that, that's a less yeah. logistic nightmare for the NHL to figure yeah. out too. And, and maybe opens the door that, you know, next year we could have a normal season after all. Yep. And, uh, yeah. So whether it's Montreal or Winnipeg or even like their opponent of Colorado or Vegas, it doesn't matter. Um, you'll, you'll see that. Um, and yeah, that's, that's about it for us. I, uh, you can listen to us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts, uh, please subscribe there for us. That would be great. Um, and you can also uh, follow us on Twitter and uh, on Facebook at Lace em Up. Our Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. Um, I know it's weird that we have different names um, for that. Um, but anyways, I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Elser. We'll talk again in episode 273 of the Lace Em Up podcast.